This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Equity Life. I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is you Welcome to another episode of Equity Mates, or should I say, ah, my friends, come sit with me. Welcome to another vital episode of Equity Mates, where we're not just talking family business, we're talking the kind of business that sets you up for life. Whether you're a young consigliere just stepping into the world of finance, or a seasoned capo with a portfolio as hefty as a Sicilian feast, we're here to offer you an investment you can't refuse. And with that said, I'm here with my equity buddy, Ren, as always. Who am I? Uh, Bryce, you are the godfather. Yes. Yes. Well played. Don't ask me uh, characters' names. I think the character is Marlon Brando. Oh, no, that's the actor's name. That's <laughs> <laughs> My pop culture showing through. There you go. Nice. Well, uh, for people who are new to Equity Mates, welcome to the most confusing introduction in the finance game. Uh, every uh, episode, Bryce asks ChatGPT to alter his normal introduction, and I have to guess who it is. Uh, I always wonder about people who are new to the show and what they think as we get started but stick with us because there's a pretty great interview coming up we are speaking to an expert investor from fidelity armit goal and he is speaking about two companies that we weren't familiar with no today's theme is the global supply chain shift Armin is the portfolio manager for the Fidelity India Fund and the Fidelity Global Emerging Markets Fund. And the two companies that we speak about today really sort of fit right in both emerging and India. Well, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, he's right on the front lines of this supply chain shift as, you know, from the 90s onwards, there was a massive offshoring movement to China. And that has sort of been the globalization story of the last 30 years. But the last sort of five years, really since the Trump presidency, um, there's been a real like capital flight from China. A lot of manufacturing has gone to Vietnam. Uh, a lot of um, ha- has gone to Mexico as well. And, and as we speak about in this interview, a lot has also gone to India. And there's a real shift going on. There's you know there's terms like nearshoring and yeah, all, yeah. all of that stuff um, are sort of coming into play. So it was like the Trump presidency, and then it was accelerated by COVID. And now, like, global supply chains are really starting to enter a new paradigm. And whenever there's these massive structural shifts, there's big investing opportunities. And that's what we speak about today. And and Amit is a great person to teach us about this because Mm. he's had nearly 20 years' experience investing in emerging markets. He's seen a lot of these markets develop and change over time. And the good news is if you are interested in investing in the Fidelity Emerging Markets Fund, it is available as an ETF under the ticker FEMX. And I think 
whenever we do these interviews around, it becomes clear the value of active management, particularly in emerging markets and, and the smaller cap space. Mm. Um, we've had a lot of discussion around India. So if you like what you're hearing, you can get access to the Emerging Markets Fund. The fund is Money Magazine's best international emerging markets fund for the for three years running now. So plenty of experience and we really enjoyed this episode. Yeah. Now, an important reminder that while we are licensed, we're not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Neither is Armit. So, this content is for education purposes only. Do your own research. Get professional advice if you feel like you need it. But we hope this episode helps on your investing journey. And finally, uh, this episode is sponsored by Fidelity. We want to say thank you to Fidelity uh, for helping us make this podcast and make all of our content free for the Equitymates community. Uh, but Bryce, uh, with that said, let's crack in. Let's do it. Amit, it is a pleasure to welcome you back to Equity Mates. Yeah, great to be back at Equity Mates. So to contextualize the conversation today, we've got two stocks that we're going to discuss that center around the idea of the shift in the global supply chain. So to kick us off, can you explain what this shift is and help us understand how it places the two stocks that we're going to talk about today? So... When you think about shift in global supply chain, it is all coming from the fact that we are all living in a more polarized global world. I mean, the world went through a very big globalization cycle from start of 2000s till 2020 when COVID hit. Then we saw massive supply chain disruptions from COVID. A large part of global supply chains shifted from west to east over the last 20 years, primarily to China. Um, everything that you and I and everyone use on a daily basis, whether it's our iPhones or whether it's our consumer electronics, gaming consoles, pharmaceuticals that we have, will find all their supply chains going back to China in some shape or form. So, so the world was very globalized. The inventory was just in time. Everything was working fine. And then we started to have a bit of this geopolitical situation between US and China in 17, 18. And then we had COVID, massive disruption in supply chains. And I think all that is leading to a, a more polarized world where everyone is looking to diversify these supply chains and dependence on just one country or one region or one area for critical components, critical part of your economy. I mean, we have seen that um, in last one or two years where a lot of global companies are now talking about creating uh, parallel supply chains out of China into Southeast Asia, into countries like India, Mexico. Um, it's a very slow process because uh, what we have seen is that the supply chain shift took 20 years to move from west to east. And now when you are trying to replicate or diversify it out of very scalable supply chains, um, I think it's a very slow process. But it's a process which I think has started. It will take years and years to uh, diversify out of the supply chains if it, at all we can. But I think that that process has started. Well, I, I love this like big shift uh, and the opportunities that are springing up uh, amongst it. And 
I guess to give a sense of just how broad the opportunities are, the two companies that we're talking about today, are one is in India and then the other is in Latin America. So it's truly a global supply chain shift that we're talking about today. Let's start with the Indian company. Uh, KPR Mill is its name. It's in the textile space. But rather than me uh, doing my best to explain it, I'll let you. So introduce us to the company, Amit. Uh, what does it do and what do we need to know about it? So KPR Mill is a fully vertically integrated textile company. They start from cotton. So this is a company which makes cotton garments. We call them knitted garments. They start from cotton. So it's a fully integrated company which starts from cotton, purchasing cotton from the farmers in India. And then they make garments as their final product which they supply to global customers like H&M, Marks & Spencers, Decathlon, and, and, and some others global customers. And so, I mean, how, what are the big macro drivers or, the, or factors that are driving growth for KPR Mill? And I guess tying that back to the thematic, which is the global shift in supply chains. So if you think about the global apparel industry, I mean, it's a, it's a very large industry and uh, a large part of that shift has already happened from west to east. So all garments that you and I use on a daily basis, uh, whether we are talking about very simple T-shirts or whether, whether we are talking about jackets and our formal clothing, whether we are talking about our sportswear and running T-shirt and yoga pants, they're all now getting manufactured in mostly in Asia. A large part of it is getting manufactured in China, where the whole supply chain shifted in early 2000s. And then in last 10 years, large amount of that supply chain has already started shifting to places like Vietnam, Cambodia, and Bangladesh. This was also driven by the fact that the cost of labor was increasing in China. And this is a very labor-intensive business where garmenting is still done using a lot of labor with sewing machines, but, but still a very labor-intensive business. So as cost of labor was rising in China, there was a big shift happening towards Southeast Asia, as well as countries like Cambodia and Indonesia. But what happened is that with this big geopolitics that we talked about and cost of labor still rising in now Southeast Asia, I think India has become one of the destinations where some of these global buyers or global brands are looking for uh, diversifying their supply chain. The issue with India was always that there were labor issues. And as I said, this is a very labor intensive sector. Uh, companies would find it difficult to create scalable large uh, labor force facilities. But that is something which we saw a big change in last five years, where now the, the ability to manage large labor force under one roof has improved. And now companies are seeing more and more integrated large plants coming to India. So, Amir, that's the sort of the global backdrop and the macro context. If we then zoom in on KPR Mill as a company, how is it capitalizing on these shifts? And, and probably most importantly, from an investment perspective, why KPR over some of the other big Indian and Southeast Asian textile players? When it comes to KPR Mills, it was very interesting that I went to India in May 
and we spend a full day with this company this is not a new company this is a very old company it was started by first generation in 1980 so it's 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 a almost 40 year old company they started doing the textile business they were largely doing uh, the yarn and the fabric business and about 10 15 years back they started moving into garmenting and making cotton garments uh, t-shirts etc for for large clients uh if i break the business today um, uh the business is broken down into garments which are their final products but they are still supplying the intermediate textile products like yarn and and fabric to to third parties so so it's a business which has been vertically integrating so i think if you think about garmenting being a vertically integrated players is always uh, a very strong place to be uh because that gives you a lot of scale and flexibility in terms of raw material sourcing and managing your quality as well when it comes to why kpr mills versus other indian companies or other kind of southeast asian companies first as i talk about that there is a clear shift in market share i mean indian companies are still very small on a global scale and uh, because of the, all the labor issues and scalability issues that i talk about so so we haven't seen a big shift of supply chain of garmenting out of china or southeast asia into india as of now so now what we are saying is that that shift has just started so you are talking about a global industry which is a very mature industry but now you are talking about indian companies which are sitting at a very low market share i mean we are talking about a low single digit market share for indian companies in this whole global market and that market share will keep on increasing from here so in a mature industry you are you are getting to a company which can keep on increasing market share so that's one very important point but where we focus a lot more on is how good is the company to capture that that uh, shift in in industry structure or market share and i think when i spend a lot of time with this company i found this company being very interesting so as i said this company is a fully vertically integrated player they start from cotton and they finish with the garment uh, but when i saw their operations i mean i saw their cotton warehouse where they store cotton i saw their yarn factory where they spin cotton into yarn and then i saw their fabric factory where they make fabric out of the yarn and then i went to their garmenting factories where you will see massive lines where where a large amount of women workforce uh would be sewing these these clothes uh, i i found those operations very sustainable they have one of the most kind of hygienic factories that i saw when you compare that with factories in bangladesh etc they have a very sustainable workforce i mean they have today 25000 women working in their factories so it's primarily women workforce and all those women are are anywhere between 20 to 25 year they came from very different parts of india they all live on the campus very good living conditions uh, 7000 out of 25 5000 women workforce get educated on the campus i mean they are doing various educational courses from high school to till post graduate so it's a, it's a very sustainable business model that they have created and i think that aligns very well with large customers i mean we are talking about large customers like uniqlo h&m 
Marks and Spencer, Walmart, and then going into more specialized players. I think that's the goal in five, ten years' time when they should start working with people like Nike, Adidas, Puma, uh, Lululemon, etc. I mean, that's the journey that they have to do over the next ten years. But I think when I saw their operations on the ground, I think that looks very sustainable for me to achieve that high global market share with this company can do. I mean. Today we are talking about them producing 120 million garments every year for their customers. Half of that goes to Europe, 25% of that goes to US. Um, a good amount of that goes to Australia as well. And now India has a free trade agreement with Australia, so that business will increase. But I think they are still at the low end of manufacturing. I mean, they are producing cotton clothes garments, which are which are sold at about 15 to 20 dollars in stores. And they sell it at two dollars. If I see some of the Vietnamese companies and some of the Chinese companies, they are selling four, five hundred million pieces, but and and at an ASP of ten dollars. So I think I see this company in eight, ten years time going to from hundred twenty million pieces to four, five hundred million pieces, but but also from a two dollar ASP to four, five dollar ASP. So that's a massive increase in market share. but it all comes from the fact that how sustainable these operations are and and i find a lot of kind of sustainability their ability to scale these operations by by all the business practices that i saw on the ground certainly sounds like there's some uh, some serious upside if uh, if it does play out how you just uh, how you just sort of pictured it uh, amit i guess the question is if they're so vertically integrated and you know they're one of the world's largest producers of cotton and and obviously creating cotton garments but a lot a lot of their i guess end retail customers zara h&m that you spoke about uh lululemon for example are using more and more synthetic fibers in the production of of uh of their garments so how are they going to or how are they positioning themselves to still be able to uh i guess manufacture as as materials change over the next 10 and 20 years no that's a that's a great question and you know kpr mill is largely pure cotton garment producer today so so they don't make uh, synthetic garments i mean and as alec you rightly mentioned we're talking about these yoga pants from lululemon the running t-shirts uh, from 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 nike adidas puma etc uniqlo so they don't work at that end of the market and that's also a growing end of the market that's also where where specialized textiles are coming which are more functional in nature so that's a journey which this company has to do i mean if you think about a start i think that's how everyone start i mean when i talk to these this company or any other player what i think is that this whole moving from pure cotton to a specialized um synthetic fabric is i think it's just a matter of learning i mean what happens in this uh, specialized fabric is that uh, you are blending different materials to create more functionality and and strength uh, of the of the fabric and uh, this is a matter of r and d um i mean getting to these fabrics uh, this is a matter of working closely with your customers uh, because some of this technology lies with customers as well i mean i have seen companies in taiwan which worked with um, some of these synthetic players that you talk about i've i've known companies in china and i think 
they can do it over over a five ten year period of time so again that's my thought process that first you are able to create a sustainable scalable structure in your company which i think gives you ability to interact more with some of the large customers then you work closely with them create these new products and scale them uh, for future growth so i think that's that's a virtuous cycle and i believe the company has started to be in that virtuous cycle i am well that is a fascinating company i hadn't heard of kpr mill but certainly uh, another indian company that's been spoken about on the show recently uh, that is really interesting um, and certainly one to keep an eye on we're going to take a quick break here and then on the other side uh, we're going to fly over to uh, the other side of the world we're going to fly to mexico and land at an airport operated by the second company that you're going to talk to us about today I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me In a given month over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Welcome back to Equity Mates. Today we're speaking to Amit Goel, who is the portfolio manager for Fidelity's India Fund and for Fidelity's Global Emerging Markets Fund. No better person to speak to us about the massive shifts going on in global supply chains. Before we speak about the second company that really exemplifies the shifting global supply chains, I want to give everyone a quick reminder that if you want to go deeper on today's episode and if you want to have your questions answered by some of the best advisors in Australia, sign up to the Equity Mates mailing list, the email that accompanies this episode. All the information's in the show notes. Um, before the break, we spoke about an Indian company. Now we're going to the other side of the world and speaking about a Mexican company uh, based in Guadalajara, Mexico. And I am going to butcher this pronunciation, but give me a crack. It's called uh, Grupo Eportoio del Pacifico. <laughs> <laughs> so my first question is going to be, can you teach me how to pronounce the company's name? And then the second question is, uh, what does it do? What do we need to know about it? I struggle as much as you. so we we call it very simply grupo aeroporto right and and the ticker on bloomberg is gap b which is again a very easy pronunciation <laughs> so 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 that that's make it makes it easy for us um and uh, it's a, it's a it's i think it's a very interesting space that that we are looking at now i mean you know we started this podcast uh, talking about this global shift in supply chain and i think what i didn't mention at the start is that this is a very gradual and slow shift you know i if i give you a few numbers uh, which makes it very easy for our our listeners to uh, i think make sense out of it is that what is essentially happening in the world is that us had a big export deficit with china so us almost had 500 billion dollar of trade deficit with china which was 50% half of us trade deficit then what happened from 2017 i mean this was a 2017 number over last 5 6 year us 
with all the trade and geopolitical situation that we talk about is is very much focused on reducing that trade deficit with china and us has been able to do it from 500 million dollar to 300 million dollar so it has gone from 50% of us trade deficit to 30% of us trade deficit but china has not lost global market share i mean we are talking about shift of supply chain but china hasn't lost market share in a global trade so what has happened is us is importing less from china but us is importing more from countries like mexico vietnam india so in turn these countries are importing more from china and exporting to us and what they are doing is they are doing some last step in the whole process so if you think about textile i mean some of the textile are are still getting manufactured uh, synthetic textile manufactured in china getting imported and 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 going into garments you are thinking about uh, mobile phones more and more mobile phones are getting now manufactured in india and vietnam foxconn which is the largest supplier of apple are creating facilities there but all the components are still coming from china when it comes to mexico uh, it is very interesting because that's where the near shoring becomes very important i mean we have been hearing about near shoring for 10 15 years where us is trying to create more and more capacities in mexico and it has never happened in 10 15 years because because it it china was such a large scalable players in each and everything that that the cost would not uh, be optimized even if you create capacity in mexico now with this focus on shifting on supply chain i think we have we have started to see new projects rising in mexico i mean the number of new projects which were announced in last 12 months was more than any year in last 10 to 15 years in mexico uh, we are seeing these projects in areas like auto and auto components consumer electronics uh, these are two large areas but in in machineries etc in industrials that's where we have started to see projects announcements coming in mexico Mexico is still a small economy and we we found it a little bit difficult to find direct beneficiaries here i mean we are looking at steel companies cement companies because there has not been any capacity addition in those areas but they still remain very global cyclical companies so one stock that we have entered into our portfolio in in our global emerging market portfolio this year is this airport company called grupo airporto Mexico has three large airport companies and these three companies are are are, are having most of mexican airports uh, in in their portfolio so grupo airporto which is called gap b in its short form has about 14 airports in their portfolio and 12 of these airports are in mexico most of these airports are in west and and north part of mexico and they have two airports in jamaica out of their of mexican airports roughly one third of the travel is business travel uh, i mean mostly in 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 kind of north part of mexico and uh, two third of their travel is leisure travel uh, 25% of their travel is international while 75% of their travel is domestic what we have seen in last 10 years in mexico is that the number of passengers have increased by about 10% cagr the pricing per passenger uh, and and the airport gets uh, the landing fees and per passenger fees has gone up by 5% so their aeronautical revenues which they get from passengers and planes has grown at a cagr 
of 15% every year. On top of it, their non-aeronautical revenues, which they get from shops and retail uh, at airports, has grown at even a faster rate of 17-18%. So this is a company, because of the air travel, both business and leisure, increasing in Mexico at a good double-digit rate, has compounded for for last 10 years at about 15%. Uh, we believe that with economic activity improving in Mexico and Mexico getting higher global trade share, this will be an indirect beneficiary. I mean, with higher economic activity, you will have higher business travel, but that should lead to a higher airline share of travel in Mexico itself as well. So we find this company very interesting um, where we think there's a structural growth of airline travel driven by higher economic activity and higher business activity. It is available at very reasonable prices to us at 15 times price to earning next year. There's a concern on airports because it's a regulated business. Every five year government decides the tariff. But, but we believe that when the tariff gets decided next year, this company should still be able to make about 20-25% return on capital. So you have a business which is 20-25% return on capital which still can compound at good double digit and it's trading at 15 times price to earnings next year pays us four to five percent dividend yield so we found this a very good way to play that economic activity change which we are seeing in favor of mexico love it a fast another fascinating company and this is why i love speaking with you armic because you bring bring stocks that we've never heard of but really playing into a large macro theme i get i guess just to close out how big do you see Grupo Airporto getting over the next sort of 10, 20 years? So if you think about market cap of Grupo Airporto, we are talking about today roughly $8 billion market cap. I think this company will give us, should give us a very good, I would say mid-teen compounding, which is a combination of growth and the dividends that we get out of the company i mean if you if you think of a total shareholder return we are talking about this company being 15 billion dollar market cap company in five years time and again continue to compound from there on so so it's a it's a it's a it will be one of one of the larger airport company in in that aspect so i mean as shareholders we are really looking at companies which can give us a sustainable compounding of double digit for our shareholders, a very high return on capital, less cyclical business. And uh, Grupo Aeroporto is one of those businesses which we believe uh, will have those characteristics. Mm. Awesome. Well, we are at the end of at the end of our time. We do thank you uh, very much. I, I should just say that we've spoken about India uh, and emerging markets here on the show in the last sort of month or so, and it you know becomes pretty evident this is where active management really does play a, a good role for us. In and you've just demonstrated two companies that are really benefiting from large macro tr- trends in in companies that we can't directly access ourselves. So um, thank you so much for your time. We do really appreciate it and uh, look forward to catching up again at some point to hearing more interesting stocks. Thanks, Amit. Thanks a lot for having me here. And it it was a great discussion and and always happy to discuss some of these interesting ideas which which adds uh, active alpha uh, to our clients. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we do appreciate it. And I'm sure the Equity Mates community do as well. So thank you very much. Thanks, Amit. 
You have been listening to an Equitymates Media production. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equitymates Media acknowledges the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. This podcast is intended for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general advice only and has not taken into account your personal financial circumstances, needs or objectives. Before acting on general advice, you should consider if it is relevant to your needs and read the relevant product disclosure statement. And if you're unsure, please speak to a financial professional. The hosts of this podcast and their guests may have positions in the companies mentioned. Equitymates Media operates under an Australian Financial Services Licence 540697. 